Amen and amen. Thank you, choir. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everybody loves an underdog. Would you agree? Most Saturdays, if I have a chance watching football, I'm always rooting for the underdog. You know, that's probably why I'm always disappointed. Um, Because most of the time, the underdog doesn't win. And unless you root for Alabama, you know, you're going to be underdog most of the time. I do think for the Egg Bowl, whether you went to State or Ole Miss, we all need to be rooting for Mississippi State. And here's why. No, 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 no. Let me tell you why. Will Rogers is a great guy, bum shoulder. He's from Brandon, by the way. And uh, he's getting back. So, yeah, I know that's not going to fly. I'm just kidding about that. But we do like an underdog, right? And whether you root for Southern State, Ole Miss, Millsaps probably, you know, you probably many of the times are coming in there wanting to upset somebody. Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear this story, that's why I have a hard time with this story. Because it looks like the underdog is, it all crashes down for the underdog. I want to root for that guy who only got one talent versus the guy who got two talents or three talents. And I think the master was a little harsh on the little guy here. little harsh. Most of the time, I just try to ignore the fact that it comes to a very nasty ending for the underdog in Jesus' story. And, you know, you can do that. You focus on the other two and say, look how joyful they are. You know, they invested, they gave. Kind of makes for a good stewardship sermon, I guess. You know, give to St. Luke's or there will be gnashing of teeth or whatever it says at the end. No, that's not a very positive way to spin it. But... It's not really about money. Not really about money. But I most identify with a guy who has only one talent. I don't feel like I'm really great at anything. Maybe a master of all trade, or jack of all trades, master of none. I don't feel like I've got a whole lot of gifts. I sort of identify with that. One talent guy. And I know he could have done better. And I know he shouldn't have buried his talent. But you know, when you've only got one talent, you just got to be sort of careful with your investments. Right? You got to be safe because you've got no backup plan. Nothing else to fall back on. So you can't just go risking all of your stuff. So play it safe. Don't lose it. But that little guy didn't go out and wheel and deal like the other two. And I know why. It's a lot easier to play it safe when you're the underdog. Isn't that what we do as a church sometimes? Giving's a little low. Hey, let's pump the brakes and slow things down. Let's just concentrate on the electric bill. And just the bare essentials. Should we break out and do new risks? I don't know. know. I don't know if we can afford it. Let's wait until we have a little bit more money. You know, that, net, that time never comes, right, in the church world, you know. I remember one of my first churches, it was like 
There were all these reports at the end of the year and all these dreamers who got up and talked about everything that we might do this next year. And then one of the elders sort of got up and said, look, you know, we, we really need to be careful this year. It was a lean year this year and I don't think we can afford to make any mistakes. We need to wait to start anything new since we don't have the reserves to back it up. We all sort of nodded. And you could just feel the spirit just getting sucked out of the room. And all the energy. And y'all, that was the longest year I've ever had in ministry. We met our goals, but they were so low and it was so boring. And we took no risks. And because we took no risks, we fought about the dumbest things. Why? Because we played it safe. I've got a distant relative who shall remain nameless. And I talked with her not too long ago. And she's getting mature and she's getting up in years. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. She said, Bruce, I never leave the house. All I do is watch TV. Now, why do you do that? Because I don't want to end up in a nursing home, is what she said. I was like, wait a second. Playing it safe? And not moving your body and never leaving the house is the quickest way to get into a nursing home, right? Play it safe and you lose it all. So I went a little bit with that third investor who goes down spectacularly in the end. But if you look again at this story and listen again and read again, again, we're talking about being Matthew 25 Christians, right? Last week was the first story Jesus told in Matthew 25. This week and then next week. If you look again, there's something even more um, evident from the viewpoint of the master. The action of this parable starts with the initiation and with the generosity of the master. And it is generous. It's a bold move. The master says, take all my passwords Get into everything. You can have it all. I want you to manage it while I'm gone. And he gives huge amounts to all three of them. You see, that guy with one talent is not the little guy in this. There, there are no little guys because they all got so much. One talent, if you go to a Bible dictionary, is equal to 20 years worth of labor. 20 years. So, assuming that the average Mississippi household makes $47,000 a year, that little old little man, one talent servant, got $750,000 to manage. Imagine somebody giving you that and telling you, that's not a little bit, at least to me it's not. Not chump change. It's not a collector's coin that's worth 100 bucks. We're talking about big money. And the dude just buried it. He probably put it in Ziploc bags. To keep it clean. He got his little shovel. Because that in the first century is how you kept someone from stealing your money. You would bury it. Nobody could find it. And he put all that money into the ground. And he didn't want to touch it or risk it or use it. He just buried it. And he buried an insane amount of money. He buried a big amount of money. And that's what kept him living outside of the joy. Because there is 
No joy. You know this and playing it safe. There's no joy in that. Hey, you know, we need to grow our children's ministry. We need to do some things. We got these kids. How about we pull in a few new people to lead them? No, that would be too much of a risk. I mean, what if we had done that? Hey, let's clean out the recreation center because we know we've got youth. We see them. They do exist at this church. And so we cleared out everything and moved mountains. We rummaged sale. We made some money off that sale. And some guy, you could eat food off the floor right now in that recreation center. Now, what if somebody had said, no, what if we failed? What if the kids don't show up? Playing it safe. So when the master returns, he is infuriated that the servant refused to do anything with a large amount of money. And the master comes back and asks for an accounting of what the three people have did, what the three people did with what he entrusted them. So what is the problem here? What is the problem? Why is the master so angry? The master is generous. And the third servant doesn't seem to be, uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to invest at, for what reason? It said because he was afraid of the master. He was afraid of the master. He said, master, I see you as harsh. You sowed where you didn't reap or you reap where you didn't sow. And the man said, really? So, like, I'm stingy, right? Is that what you're telling me? And that's when he really, really uh, got on to that guy. The master, that that servant kind of became what he feared. Y'all, if we think we serve a stingy God that reaps where he does not sow, then we're going to live a graceless and fearful life. We'll never want to risk anything for fear of the master's going to come back and scold us. But that's not the point. You know, you know as well as I do, that the Jesus reveals not a stingy master, but a general one, a, gen- a generous one. But this guy was more worried about the master, what the master could do to him, instead of focusing on what the master could do through him. Let me say that again. He was so worried about what the master was going to do to him that he forgot what the master could do through him. Do you know that you've been given incredible gifts? How much would you pay for your mobility or your health or your friends or your community or your church? What would you give for the mind that you have to think and to make decisions and to make a living for yourself? You may not think about it on those terms, but I tell you, I bet you would give Everything you've got to keep all those things. The problem is, is that we take them for granted. And so we ignore them and we bury them. And I think sometimes the church has done a terrible job on sharing the message. The church is so busy telling you that you're not worthy that it forgets to tell you that what you've been given is sacred and beautiful and valuable to the kingdom. Don't bury it. Don't take a shovel and bury what God has given you, but use it for the kingdom. Because we serve a God who is generous and full of grace. And if grace is what we imagine and know God to be, grace is what we will receive. Fear will keep us from risking. Fear will paralyze us. 
How often are you motivated by fear? What are you willing to risk for the sake of love and grace and forgiveness? What have you stored away and buried that you need to dig back up? Because if you're not sharing what God has given you, you've buried it. But good news. This God that we serve doesn't let things stay buried for long. And God is inviting you and me to grab our shovel. See, the motivation of two servants was to do the work of their master. That's all we're called to do. We serve a generous and compassionate God. And that's what we're called to do and to be. The motivation of the third servant, though, was fear. And he was trapped in his own mind, worried about mistakes that he might make instead of wheeling and dealing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we act out of fear, we hide, maintain, we're reluctant to risk anything. Following Christ, doing kingdom work takes risk. You and I, we're called to risk who we are. Because all, all of our resources is a gift. All should be used for the master. Just take a look at the God we serve. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to risk it all on behalf of the world. He's about to gamble on behalf of you and me. He'll be humiliated, put down, cast out in the darkness. Right now, And right now. Can you imagine him doing all of this knowing that he'll not be physically present with his disciples anymore and them experiencing them and going, hey, let's don't take any risks. Can you imagine him doing it for you? You think he died for you to play it safe or us to play it safe? He taught about the kingdom and he talked about investing huge sums of gift and talent on his followers, lavishing it on them and they... They're not going to go back and fish or collect taxes or join back in the armies against Rome. No, that would be absurd. God is a gambler. God is a risk taker. God leaves large sums of talent to you and to me so that we might cast out our fear into the darkness and do something with what we've been given. If God in Christ has not chosen to play it safe, what right do we have to bury our talents. Kingdom people are called to use their talents, not bury them. So we live like we're excited about what the Master has given us. Not like we're worried about what the Master is going to do to us. What if we took a few risks next year? What if the first two servants, I thought about this, what if they wheeled and dealed and did all their stuff and lost a little money? I'll tell you, I don't think the master would have been offended by that. I really don't. Because it's not about winning or losing. But it's about participating and engaging and getting the game. Putting your skin in it, right? And investing in that way. It's routine for Christians to excuse themselves by protesting that their gifts are too modest to be significant. Don't do that to yourself. Don't short play yourself in what God has given you. What you have is God. We don't, what you have is God's. We have no right to go, well, it's not a whole lot. It's not a big deal. I don't have much. Yes, you do. This parable insists that the gifts are precious and to be exploited to the full. I'd rather burn out in life than rust out, wouldn't you? 
Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, it says in 1 Peter 4.10, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Risk it. Use it. You know the great thing about it? Is that if you have buried it, it's not too late to dig it back up. It's not too late to appreciate it and use it once again. A reckless investment of love is what it's all about. How sad if we're like that last guy who thinks he doesn't have anything. I've got news, newsflash for all of us. You are rich. You've been given a lot in this life. And you've got a lot of responsibility. And you're called by this risk-taking God to own your life and for us to own our church and to be a part of a group of people that are willing to risk, not play it safe. The moral of the story is that you don't have to be a success. We have to just participate. We don't have to pretend that every now and then it is a little scary. You know, if I just told you not to be afraid, that's not going to do you any good. Everybody's got a little bit of that fear rumbling around. I'm just not asking you to get rid of your fear. I'm calling you to change your focus. Quit focusing on that. And focus on who and what's greater than your fear. And you'll always be. You'll always be able to risk what you have for God. Wednesday night. We had a chili cook-off, right? And we karaoke'd. And y'all probably thought that was a silly thing. But you know what? I loved it. You know why? Because there's nothing like seeing Ben Ben Barham singing a Celine Dion song. (laughs) Yeah, let's give him a hand. Now, is Ben going to be on The Voice anytime soon? Probably not. But Ben, Haley, Carla, Justin, gosh, I shouldn't have started saying that. About five more people. were Max Max sang a hard Beatles song. I couldn't believe he picked picked the Beatles song. But here's the point. In God's kingdom, you got to be willing to risk looking like a fool. I'm not saying you look like a fool, Ben. You've (laughs) You've got to risk being foolish for the kingdom. And you got to dance. You know, the Japanese proverb says you're a fool whether you dance or not. So you might as well dance. The biggest fool in this story is the guy who said, you know, I'm so scared. I think I'm not going to invest and I'm not going to dance. Don't let that be you. Let's not let that be us. Oh, what's St. Luke's about? Oh, they play it real safe. They play it re- really? Is that what we want to be known for? I Certainly hope not. I want to end on a story here of somebody that, one of the bravest people in the world. She's about 95 years old. I may or may not have shared a little bit about her a few months ago, but her name is Edith Eager. Edith uh, is an amazing human being. She's Jewish, uh, Hungarian, and when she was 16 or 17, she lived through the most horrific uh, experience anybody could like many of her Jewish family uh, she lost them all and it was one concentration camp to another to another to another to another until she was finally at a uh, camp in Germany that they 
they, they didn't kill you, but they just let you work yourself to death. It was known as the last stop. But the liberating forces came in, and she mentions early in her book, it's called The Choice, and that's what we got. We got a choice. You've always got a choice. So she's there almost lifeless, almost dead. It said the people were so worn out in that camp that the, the, the soldier that walked in first could not tell who was dead and who was alive. Anybody there, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're alive. And she had just enough to raise, move her finger. Now he was a black soldier. She said, he's the first black man I've ever seen in my life. And he came up to her and she said, he put three beads in my hand, color beads. And he grabbed my hand, she said, and all I remember was that he put it to my mouth and I put it in. She said, it was the first M&M I ever had. He scooped her up, gently carried her, and he saved her life. Though her life was saved and she was uh, saved physically by the liberating forces, she couldn't get out of the prison of her mind. She could not get over what her enemies had done to her. She moved to the United States of America, where she, for decades, was a speaker and a counselor. She changed so many lives. Because she decided, no, I'm not going to live my life as a victim. I'm going to live my life as somebody who's got something valuable to give to the world. And so she was this amazing speaker all of her life. Now she's 96 or 97. But in 2010, this is what she wrote. And this is what I want my life to be. I want to be a risk taker like Edith Egger is. In the summer of 2010, she says, I was invited to Fort Carson, Colorado to address an army unit returning from combat in Afghanistan, a unit with a high suicide rate. I experienced a few brief internal skirmishes of discomfort. This is right before she was going to talk to these people. The old habits of being hard on myself, of wondering what a little Hungarian ballet student has to offer men and women of war. I reminded myself that I was there to share the most important truth that I know. That the biggest prison is in your own mind. And in your pocket, you already hold the key. The willingness to take absolute responsibility for your life. The willingness to risk. The willingness to release yourself from judgment and reclaim your innocence. Accepting and loving yourself for who you really are. Human, imperfect, and whole. One of her quotes in this speech was, As my mama told me, I will, uh, something I'll never forget. She said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. But no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. I would add in your own heart. She closes it this way. This time, as I was closing my speech and as I said the words, I almost fell from the stage. I was overcome by sensations, by sense memories I've stored deep inside. The smell of muddy grass. The fierce, sweet taste of M&M's. It took me a long moment to understand what was triggering the flashback. But when I realized, flanking the rooms were flags and insignias. And everywhere I saw an emblem I hadn't thought about for many, many years. But one that is as significant to me as the letters that spell my own name. The insignia, the GI, who liberated me on May 4, 1945 wore on his sleeve a red circle with a jagged blue 71 in the center. I had been brought to Fort Carson to address the 71st Infantry. 
the unit that 65 years ago had liberated me. I was bringing my story of freedom to the survivors of war who once brought freedom to me. Imagine if Edith Eager said, I've got nothing to give this world. Imagine what would happen if you do it with your gift. Do not bury your gift. It is worth more money than you could ever have. Don't bury it. Let's pray. God, we've heard the saying, use it or lose it. Help us to use what you've given us as the church, as your people, individually, and as families. Don't let us get through this life, Lord, having buried the best things you've given us. Help us to trust you more than we're scared in this world. And we know, God, that you are a sure bet. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord who risked it all for us. Amen. Our closing hymn is a great one for this, y'all. Think about your gifts when you sing it. Here I am, Lord, page 593.